prayer. This morning, I'm going to preach a message called Come and Dine. Look at your neighbor and say, Come and Dine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the fish, the fire, and the forgiveness. The fish, the fire, and the forgiveness. Come and dine. John chapter 21. Oh, that's a beautiful table. Doesn't look like when we get through with it at Thanksgiving at our house, but it's a beautiful table anyway. Amen? John 21. Look at verse number. Let's start with verse number uh, 6. This is sort of ending. I know I have uh, told you 9, but let's get a little bit of context if we can. John 21, verse 6. When you got it, say amen. amen. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you will find. They cast therefore, and now there were, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple who Jesus loved, somebody say, that's John, said unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on the fire and bread. And Jesus said unto them, bring the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes. There were 153. And for all there were so many, yet the net was not broken. Say, the net was not broken. Jesus said unto them, come and dine. Look at your neighbor and say, come and dine. Come on, look at them like you got an attitude. Say, what's holding you back? Now listen, that don't mean leave and go down to the chicken house right now, okay? You're going to do that in a minute. He's not talking about that yet. We're talking about spiritual things, okay? And none of the disciples asked him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took bread and gave them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, this is it, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? Say, more than these. He said unto him, yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, feed my lambs. He said unto him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said unto him, feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things that, and you know that I love you. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. I want to talk today about, I'm going to preach about coming down, but I want to talk about the fish, the fire, and forgiveness. Lord, help me to wrap this up today, this sermon on fishing. I believe you've spoken to some lives and gotten some lives in order. Purpose has been restored to people, and for those who are still in need of that today, would you do that, God? I just surrender, Lord, uh, these few moments we have together. You said in your word that a workman that needs not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth I pray today you'll help me to do that God to rightly divide the word of truth 
I pray the word today would be like a sword that pierces into our soul that with exact precision circumcises our hearts. Let the word circumcise our hearts. I pray you'll cut back the flesh and let our spirit come alive in you. We open our hearts now to you, Holy Spirit, to hear your voice. And I pray for the next few moments you'll just help me to teach and preach so that our congregation, our people, our church family would be lifted into heavenly places and would be transformed and washed by the water of the word. In the name of Jesus, somebody say, wash me, Lord. Somebody say it again. Say, wash me, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I have... um, So I've been in the boat, in the water, on the ocean for the last three weeks. And today the the text starts in the ocean, starts in the water, but it ends on land. Because what we're going to see is that fish are in water, and if you're going to catch fish, you've got to be in the water. But if you're going to clean fish, you've got to get to land. Evangelism is an important thing. You've got to go fishing to catch the fish, right? But at some point, you've got to drag the fish back to the land and get them to Jesus. Church has to be an evangelism organism. It has to be a going church. You know, the Bible says, go ye into all the world. It doesn't say sit ye, it says go ye. So we have to be a going church and a reaching church and a winning church. We talked about winning people to the Lord. But at some point, the harvest has to come in. And you have to take care of the fish that you've caught. And the good, there's several good pieces of good news in this text today. The, the, the first thing, and this may be a little more pastoral today, but I really think our, our, our house needs to hear this. The first thing I want you to see <coughs> is that when they come in from the big harvest, Jesus already has fish. Now, we might be tempted to be impressed with all the fish that we have, but please understand Jesus has his own fish. He's not waiting on us to bring our catch in and brag on how much we've caught, right? He's got his own fish. And I, I, I think we need to be reminded, and how many would agree with me, God's been real good to us here at our church. Anybody other, other than me and Devin feel that way? God's been real good to us. He's supplied all of our needs. He's been very kind and very gracious, and he's been better to us than we could ever deserve. And we're grateful for all that he's blessed us with. But I just want to remind you, none of it impresses God. God is not attracted here because we have cool lights and a nice LED screen and a fantastic sound system. And God is attracted here for one thing. Hungry people come and they want more of him. And so he just keeps showing up. And the moment we think that it is our stuff and the accoutrements and all the bells and whistles that attract God, we'll lose him. God has his own fish. Jesus said to his disciples, I have meat that you know not of. So the first thing I want to remind you is no matter what you catch, it doesn't impress God. No matter the harvest, it doesn't impress God. God simply just wants, watch this, to be with you. Amen. On this, in this story that I read to you today, this is so much like the story I talked to you last week in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus tells them launch out into the deep and they go out and at the word of the Lord they drop down the net and they catch a great a massive amount of fish, so much so that the Bible says their nets begin to break. It literally means their nets were breaking. It doesn't just mean that they almost broke. Literally in the Greek, the the nets were actually breaking, which means somewhere between Luke 5 and John 21, they had to mend their nets. 
Now that's not something I'm implying or something that I'm suggesting. It is something that the Bible reveals that when fishermen went, they would oftentimes drag their net on the bottom. It could hit a snag. It could get locked up on a rock. It could tear the net. And fishermen would have to pull the net in and go down to the, to, to the shore and they would have to sew their nets up. There's two times that word is used in the Bible. And don't miss this. It's very important. When the Bible says they mended their nets in the book of Mark and then in Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. Watch this. Don't miss this. If you see a brother, I'm in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. If you see a brother or a sister, either could be implied, who has been overtaken in a fault or a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourselves lest you also be tempted. Watch this. Because there are going to be people in life who get caught on the bottom of life sometimes. And the net of their life is going to get ripped by the rock of sin. Paul says in the book of Galatians, you who are spiritual, restore. Everyone say restore. The only other time that word used in the Greek is in the book of Mark where fishermen were on the shore mending their nets. The word mending and the word restore are the same word. And what Paul was saying is, is when lives drag the bottom and get caught and holes get, how many know a net with holes in it is useless? So what you have to do in order to repair it, you have to, you have to re-sew and put back together what has been torn apart. Somewhere between Luke 5 and John 21, these fishermen who had experienced a tear in their net had to restore their net because they had a future and they had to prepare for the future. Despite their past, despite the rip in the net, despite the fact that they had a hole in the net and it looked useless, they had to mend nets because fish were in their future. Now watch. Paul says when a brother or sister gets torn and ripped apart, you who are spiritual, restore them, mend them, because although this season looks dark, there is a future season coming where they are going to be useful in the kingdom of God again. Now I want to tell you right now, if you're a Pharisee that seeks to finish Christians off after they fall, there is very little space for you in the kingdom of God because God is looking for true spiritual people are not just those who talk in tongues and huck and buck and condemn Christians when they fall. True spiritual Christians are those who have the love of God on the inside, the grace of God on their life, the oil of the Spirit within them that when someone makes a horrible mess out of life, they don't throw them away, they heal them and put them back together and they speak in to them and say God ain't through with you yet you might have just got out of prison but God ain't through with you yet you may have been incarcerated but God ain't through with you yet you may have been broke busted and disgusted but God ain't through with you yet how do I know God ain't through because we're here and we see the, the witness of God in your life that God has something for you in your future he can put you back together and this whole thing with the fish that I see, it would have been absolutely impossible to catch these fish in John 21 had someone not mended the net. So they catch the fish, they bring the fish back. Jesus says, now, let, let, let me stop. I'm not going to, if I get into this, I'll just stay here and I don't want to stay here. This is not the real assignment. I think it's absolutely hysterical. You have to see this in a, 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 a bit of a humorous way. They're out fishing. Jesus is probably 200 yards, most people think, 200 yards back on the shore. He says, hey, what'd you catch? They say, nothing. He says, drop it on the other side. 
At this point, they don't know who's talking to them. But I can hear the conversation in the boat. Who does that joker? No, come on, y'all. Who does he think he is? I've been fishing on this lake all my life. He's hundreds of yards away, and he's telling me just to drop it on the other side. And they pull it up, and they drop it on the other side, and all of a sudden, fish start swimming in the net. And John looks up and says, y'all, that's the Lord. I know who that is. Come on, tell somebody that was the Lord. Come on, has anybody ever experienced that kind of season in your life where you know that was the Lord? I mean, it ain't that big of a deal. I just pulled the net up from one side and put it on the other. But when I did what he told me to do, the word he spoke had power and was pregnant with potential. And my obedience unlocked something that I wasn't even qualified enough to receive. Who am I talking to? Who am I talking to? It wasn't a big adjustment. It was just one act of obedience. And when God did it, there was no doubt who done it. It was the Lord. What my sugar daddy, it wasn't my sugar mama, it wasn't him or her or it or that, it was the Lord. And I am praying that God is getting ready to bless some of you in such an extravagant way that when it happens, you won't be able to give anyone credit for it. You will say like John, it was the Lord. How many will praise him when he does it? How many will praise him when he does it? How many will run to church and say it was the Lord that paid off the house? It was the Lord that saved my children. It was the Lord that healed my marriage. It was the Lord. So they say it was, he says it was the Lord. Peter is in a bit of a situation here. He don't have much clothes on. And you have to understand why. It wasn't, you know, I've heard all kinds of stuff preached about this text. Let's just be real real just be real if i if i'm fishing if i'm fishing and i'm cutting up fish and i've got fish stuff everywhere i don't want my coat to get fish guts all over it so i'm going to take my fishing coat off right just what i'm going to do when Peter found out it was the Lord, he picked his coat up and put it around him. Watch this. He wasn't going to wait on everyone else to get back. He swam all the way back to shore. Now, you know you love Jesus. When you skip the boat ride and take a swim. How hungry are you today? Would you skip the boat ride and take a swim to be in his presence? Have you ever met somebody, all they needed was a, a direction where he was. And they just take off running for him. That's the kind of attitude Peter has here. He ties his garment around him, he gets in the water, and he swims back. Now watch this, here's what I want you to see. He gets back, Jesus already got his fish. He's not waiting on their fish. He's already got his fish. Now watch this. And he has them on the fire. Now there's two layers of understanding that we need to import in this text. The first is a very, a, a very practical one. No one wants to eat raw fish out of the Sea of Galilee, so you have to have a fire. I want you, to, first of all, to pick up on the fact that Jesus, in his kindness, is creating a table for them. 
fresh off a season of failure, he creates a table for them. In fact, let me help y'all understand something. He built the fire. Isn't he a good God? People running around all the time. Oh, I'm going to start the fire. You're not starting the fire. We didn't start the fire. Come on, 80s people. Don't leave me hanging. You, you, ne you never start the fire. You tend the fire. He starts the fire. Leviticus chapter 6, he said, The fire on the altar shall never go out. But they didn't start the fire. The fire came from heaven. Are you following me? God always starts the fire. And let me help you. Any fire that has its birth and beginning through the hands of man is called strange fire. And there's some strange fire burning in certain places. I don't know about you, but I'm asking God to peel back heaven and send down holy fire. And if he started the fire, it's our job to tend the fire. And here's what I want you to see. The fire is the destination for the fish. He laid the fish on the fire. The very first layer I want you to see is the practical layer where Jesus spread a table for hungry fishermen who had caught nothing. But the spiritual layer that I want you to see is that Jesus, I believe, is trying to show us not only did he prepare a table for them, but he was showing them that the destination of the fish was the holy fiery presence of God. Catch the fish, but if you really want to find out how to, how to maximize the fish, put the fish in the fire. Oh, I'm not going to get no help right here because we don't talk about the fire of God in the church anymore. We don't even talk about fire much in the church in, in terms of hell. I'm grateful today I'm not going to burn forever in eternal hell. I, I still believe in hell, by the way. Some of y'all ain't heard about hell, but hell is a real place. And hell is a real place where real fire is burning, where the fire is not quenched. The worm dieth not. Men will gnaw their tongue for pain. And in hell, darkness will creep into someone's soul so black it will make their eyes ache that's where I am glad I'm not going today and while I am thankful I'm not going to hell I'm grateful that while I'm on my way to heaven I can burn not with hell but I can burn with the power and the fervent fire of the presence of a living Jesus he is not some chimney mantle God he is a living God and my soul is the candle of the Lord and because my spirit is a candle he lights my candle with his holy fire and your life and my life should be lived consumed by the all consuming fire of the Holy Ghost say amen somebody I wish somebody's soul would catch on fire I can tell when I say that. I love this. I can tell when I say that to people who've been in church all their life. They're like, wow! And the people who've been saved three months, they're like, what is he talking about? My soul on fire. I'm telling you, there's a place you can get to in your walk with God where you in your heart burn with holy fire. Nobody got to beg you to worship when you get there. 
Nobody got to beg you to praise the Lord when you get there. Nobody got to beg you to pray when you get there. When your soul catches on fire, you'll start your own Bible study. When your soul catches on fire, you'll have your own prayer closet. When your soul catches on fire, you'll lay hands on your own head, catch yourself while you fall, pass the offering plate and give an offering. You will speak in tongues and give the interpretation. When your soul catches on fire, nobody got to beg you to come back to church. That's why we got to go chase fish who we rescued. We don't put I'm in the fire. If you, oh God, who am I talking to? If you ever catch fish and put them in the fire, they don't want to run back to the ocean no more. God, give us fire that is sent from heaven. Fire that'll make me talk right. Fire that'll make me live right. Fire that'll make me walk right. Fire that'll make me love my wife the way God told me to love her. Fire that'll make me raise my babies in the fear of the admonition of the Lord. God, give us fire. Oh God, I didn't plan on doing this, but touch your neighbors say neighbor we need the fire we need the fire I'm not talking about strange fire I'm not talking about carnal fire I'm talking about true fire holy ghost fire fire that'll burn the carnality out of your mind fire that'll burn the lust out of your spirit fire that'll make you all cry fire God give me fire give me fire so my eyes see holy Give me fire so my tongue talks holy. Fire so my ears hear holy. Oh, God. I want to preach on fire. I want to worship on fire. I want to pray on fire. I want to talk on fire. When I walk down the road, I want to have a fire shut up in my... I know Shabakestio. I'm a little concerned. What time? Lord, I got time. I got some time. This domesticated thing, this domesticated thing that we're producing, this manageable domesticated Pentecost. In three minutes, we're going to offer a prayer. In six minutes, we're going to sing another song. In eight minutes, we're going to take the offering. By minute 21, y'all, I'm sick of it. If that's what you're waiting on, I ain't trying to condemn nobody. I know there's all kind of different ways to do church, but there's too many fish in Chattanooga who've been floating from boat to boat and from lake to lake. They're sick and tired of the water. They're looking for the fire. Hallelujah. God give us fire. Set a fire. Now, let me just say, I, you know, the, the caution is, well, I heard this growing up my whole life. You got to be careful because that wildfire, you get some of that wildfire in your church, you, you got a real problem. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'd rather have to calm people down. You hear what I'm telling you? I'd rather have to pull you aside in love and say, baby, you're a little bit too excited. Can you just tone it down a little bit? than to resurrect the Valley of Dry Bones every Sunday. I mean what I'm telling you right now. I mean what I'm telling you right now. 
baby, I want to come in here on Sunday and not have to start a prayer line because you've already started one and the power of Almighty God is burning in your soul. You ought to come in so fiery. You ought to come in so prayed up. Now listen, y'all, when I was growing up, and I, I introduced you to, to Prophet Lefford, he would, he'll tell you this. When we were growing up, 20 minutes before the church on Saturday night, on Sunday night, we have Sunday night church back in the day. And we come in there, and the women were on the left side, and the men were on the right. And I'm 15, 14, 13 years old, and I'm in there with all them old men. Seasoned saints, not old men. Brother Tommy Watts, he get in there and start praying, oh God, I'm talking about the man prayed like the church building was on fire. And he started getting happy. I'll never forget the night he was preaching. His teeth flew out. It's a true story. His teeth, am I telling the truth? His teeth flew out in the middle of hallelujah. He said, holly, and they jumped out. He caught them and threw them back in and said, hallelujah. Help! I want to tell somebody there's a place you can get to in God where your soul, your sanctified soul will catch. I want it to happen to you. I want you to get so full of the Holy Ghost that you're speaking tongues all the way to the restaurant today. That, that, ain't wild, that ain't wildfire. That ain't wildfire. That's real fire. You can tell them saints that are on fire. You get them to pray. You say, pray for me. It don't take them 40 minutes to get a prayer wheel turning. That's it. That's it. They woke up so cold. And they went to bed. And when you intercept them between the chitlins and the hog jaw at the food city, they don't have to turn on a prayer wheel. Maybe they've been waiting on somebody who has a need. Fire! The destination for fish caught is the fire of God. Now, let me say some things right here before you judge me and write us off as crazy. You've come too late to tell me this ain't real. You might have been able to talk me out of this four years ago. But when God hit this house with a 90-day revival, and I carried my four babies to my car, I carried my four children. Zion was just a little thing, and Judah was just a little thing, and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they weren't even teenagers yet. And I'll never forget the night we walked it's 11, 30, or 12 at night. All these people say, people don't stay for church. No, people who want the fire will stay. People who are trying to run to another fishbowl have to get out. We love you, but we're going to stay because the fire is burning. 
11.30 at night, I'm walking down this hallway with my four kids and my wife. And the Holy Ghost woo, came on us in the hallway. My whole family got slain in the power of God. Nobody laid their hand on us. I'm talking about the whole family got slain. I had to pick my babies up, speaking in tongues. I put them in the car, speaking in tongues. I carried them up the steps, speaking in tongues. I woke them up the next morning for school, and they were late, and I didn't care. They were speaking in tongues. Well, what about their grades? They made A's and B's and did all right. Because when you get in the fire, God will take care of the rest. You might have talked me out of this thing. Four years ago, you might could have talked me out of this. But when I saw a blind man standing right in there, start jumping up and down saying, I can see, I think I'll take the fire. When I was sitting, I'm sorry. When I was sitting the, the first week of the revival, and I'm not just here to talk about an old flame because he's getting ready to do something fresh in every one of our lives. But I remember leaving here at midnight one night and Damon and J.R. and Chris Brooks, maybe I can't remember who all was with us. We went to the, what's the name of that restaurant? City Cafe. It's the only place open at midnight other than Waffle House. And I, I done had some Waffle House that week. I wanted something else, Amy. Don't get bitter with me. She works at Waffle House. Never mind. We go in the City Cafe. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. We're in City Cafe, and we can't even order food. Damon's shaking. I've never seen a man shake like this. He's shaking under the power of God. My knees won't stay on. My feet won't stay on the ground. My knees are. I'm feeling this thing. J.R., who was a Baptist at that point. Look, look, look. He's back there. Lift your hands, J.R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elder Fitch was a Baptist who thought we was all crazy. We're sitting in City Cafe at 1 o'clock in the morning. And the power of God, we just left revival service. The power of God is all over us. And there's only one other person in the whole restaurant. And she's got a hat pulled down over her eyes, Elder. Ooh. And all we're doing is talking about, can you believe God did that tonight? Did you see those young people get baptized? Do, do y'all understand we baptized 1,100 people in 90 days? Yeah. Well, revival don't grow a church. That's a lying spirit. We were running 200 people before a 90-day revival. And the church exploded when revival hit. Revival don't kill a church. Religion kills a church. And most of the time when revival's trying to break out, religious demons start rising up and we're confused about what's killing the church. Revival never killed the church. Religion killed the church. We're sitting there talking about all the baptism and the Holy Ghost and the kids that got saved and the drug addicts that got saved. And while we're talking about revival, us three shaking under the power of God. This woman's two or three tables down with a hat pulled down over her eyes, Dave. She's just weeping. 
And I see, you, you have to understand, I know Damon Thompson. And we're friends. And, and at that time, I didn't know him very well, but I know him very well now. And I saw a look come on him that I have come to understand when he gets that look, it's getting ready to be crazy. <laughs> we're sitting in City Cafe. This woman is weeping. And I look at the, I look at the brother and I said, y'all, God is messing with that woman over there. And Dan, Damon starts shaking. And he says, God's about to do something. Well, watch this. We're sitting there. All of a sudden, a man comes in and sits down with her, Noah. And they're both weeping. It's one o'clock in the morning. And all I know is I feel like I could slay a million demons and lay 1,000 people out in a prayer altar somewhere. That's the kind of anointing I felt on me at that. I felt like I could grab a demon with my right hand and a demon with my left hand and crack their heads together and pile the bones up on the side. That's how I felt right then. Hallelujah! I feel it right now. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I feel the authority of Jesus in this house. I feel the power and the person of the Holy Ghost in this place. This is not some little bitty God. This is El Shaddai. He has all power and he lives in me and you. We're sitting there shaking under the power of God. And this man stands up and freaks me out. He said, Pastor! This is a God appointment. He said, my wife and I came here tonight to finalize our divorce and to discuss separation agreements and visitation agreements for our children. But we both feel like God is in this moment. Would you pray for us? I don't know if you want that. Because what I'm feeling right now, if it gets out of me and gets on you, something's getting ready to turn around. Ah! Damon took his ring off. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He took his ring off and gave it to her and said, you put it on his finger. And we renewed their vows in City Cafe. And to this day, they're still married and in love. I'll take fire. I'll take fire. I'll take fire. Fire at City Cafe. Fire in the altar. Fire in my soul. I won't fire. Anybody won't fire. I'll take fire. I'll take fire. Four years ago, you, you might could have talked me out of this fire thing. Boy, this ain't where I thought I was going in this sermon. I left the teaching a long time ago. I, you could have talked me out of fire four years ago, but when I had a, a police officer in full uniform at 2.30 in the morning, Slain up under the table in the green room. I'll never forget it. He might be in here right now. He walked in with his John Hagee Four Blood Moons book. I said, what is happening here? That night he come into this revival and the glory, he said, I don't know about all this speaking in tongues. 
I said, don't worry about it. Just, just come in here and get in the fire with us. At 3 o'clock in the morning, he's laying up under the table in there, speaking in tongues, snot flying everywhere. Gary Keelan was walking around him saying, put the wind in his sails one more time, Lord. Put the wind in his sails one more time, Lord. My tongue is like the pen of a ready rider. Put the, he was quoting all these crazy scriptures, and the man sitting there getting baptized in the Holy Ghost, he got up from out from under the table, ran out in the middle of Bailey Avenue like, like the man on It's a Wonderful Life was jumping and telling Chattanooga, it's real, it's real, it's real. I feel like running with him right now. It's real. It's real. The Holy Ghost is real. Oh, I feel him in my soul. Thank you for what I feel. Well, Pastor, I just prefer that little quieter movement. That's fine. You can prefer what you want to. But when, the, when your finger goes into a socket and touches 120 volts of power, you don't get to determine how you manifest. Oh, and what I came to tell you, I want you to sit there as long as you can. I want you to behave as long as you can. I want you to be quiet as long as you can. But there will come a point when the fire will reach such a degree in you that you don't care what your neighbor thinks about it. Yes! Look at your neighbor, elbow him, karate chop him, holler at him, do something. Say, put the fish in the fire. Put the fish in the fire. You say, God ain't in all that. My Bible said your God is a consuming fire. John Wesley's method of evangelism was very simple. Catch on fire. And men and women will come from all over to watch you burn. But that little religious thing starts looking for a little pocket of fire. Shh. Don't get too excited. It's called the praise police. It's the WBI, the Worship Bureau of Investigation. They came to find a man who was on fire one day. It's over there in John chapter 9. He was so excited because the man had been born blind. And he had come into contact with Jesus. And Jesus told him, go your way, you're sent. And when he came back, the Bible said he washed his eyes and he came back seeing. And the man got really happy because most people who get touched by the fire of God, they get the joy of the Lord. But because we think you might be in the flesh, we came to investigate you. Tell us, was this man a sinner? Tell us, by what means were you healed? Have you ever met a group of people who just wanted to put water on your fire? 
you shout and they look at you funny. I'm going to tell you how to handle the WBI. I'm going to tell you how to handle the praise police. When they come to check you out, learn how to stop arguing with them. And when they ask you a question, what kind of man was this? Was he a sinner? What kind of church was this? You would be amazed at how many people in the middle of that 90-day revival, how many pastors in this city got up and filleted us. There was one night we had, I'm not exaggerating, we had 400 young ladies and young men dancing on the stage. And the next Sunday, somebody brought me the sermon, the man preached, where he said, all that craziness going on down there, all them young people hopping around and acting crazy, it looked like a bar. Y'all holier than me. I know y'all are more sanctified than I am because I was fixing to go down there and talk to him. Because my thought on it was, no. They're not in a bar, and that's why we're hopping. We're not hopping because we want to be in a bar. We're hopping because we used to be in a bar, and now we're in the middle of God's presence. My God, you ought to hop with them. Praise the Lord. They said, they said, is he a sinner or not? He said, well, you know, whether he's a sinner or not, that I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind. I was blind. I was a drug addict. I was a homosexual. I was a prostitute. I was a wife beater. I was an alcoholic. I was blind. But now I see. Can somebody praise the Lord in here that since he touched your life, you are not the same. Oh, God. Not where I thought I was going. Put the fish on the fire. It's vain to catch fish and not put them on the fire. I'm going to close in a minute. I'm trying not to, but it feels good. He put the fish on the fire. And what I want you to see is not only was the fire burning, but the bread was there. Isn't it good to us? See, this is a real move of God right here. This little table he made is a real move of God. He had the fish, he had the fire, and he had the bread. You need fish. Everyone say, I am a fish. And fish need to be in the fire. Say, thank God for fire. But if you don't have no bread, I'm not going to get no help right here. But you can never be more spiritual than you are scriptural. I not only want to have fire, I want to know the word. You know, there's these people, they only get spiritual between 1030 and 1230 on Sunday. 
and I can smell your facade a mile away. Okay, let me back up. Most, most new Christians can smell the fakeness of somebody who hadn't had a word life all week long and then come over here and oh and fall down quaking and shaking and going crazy and get up and live like the devil. Bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The bread represents the word. Listen to me, family. We're going to have to be people of the word if we're going to be people of fire. But I want you to understand something. The deeper you go into the word, the stronger the fire burns. People often act like what you find out and what you know and the knowledge you gain from being a person of the word makes you some, you know, chilled out version of who you're supposed to be. Listen, what I found out didn't calm me down. It turned me on. The more, the deeper I get in this word, the hotter the fire burns in my heart. Isn't that what the two disciples on the way to Emmaus said? They started talking with him about the Holy Scriptures on the way to Emmaus and they said, did not our hearts burn within us? The word doesn't put the fire out. The word becomes fuel for fire. You can have fish and fire, but if you don't have the bread, you're not going to last. I want the word. Now, listen, I said this a number of times, and I ain't trying to be mean when I say it. I know I go, we go long sometimes. Sometimes we get into it. Right now, we are in a two-hour and 30-minute worship service. 215 minutes. No, Lord, we almost three hours in, y'all. Now, am I looking at that right? 245? Now, I want to say this. I didn't even know. I don't really even care. But listen, listen, when the word being preached and we get ready to give an altar call, where are you going? Now, if you've got to go to work and got an appointment, got a, got a date, I get it. I want you to go have fun. But if you're just trying to hurry and beat the crowd, I'm going to preach right here. That's not a good reason to leave. How are you going to sit down and eat the whole meal and not get the dessert? Do you know at the end of every service, I benedict the service? Do you know what that benediction is, that last prayer I pray? That is like the, how many ever had leftovers when you got through eating? And you put it in one of those plastic plastic bags and you got that zipper tie thing that goes across top to seal it? The benediction is the seal on all that's happened here today. How are you going to leave before I seal it? I love you. Don't get mad with me. Fish, fire, and bread. Now watch this, I'm done. He puts the fish on the fire. He feeds them bread. When the breakfast was over, your Bible says, and this is going to take just a minute. When, when the breakfast was over, Peter is sitting by that fire. Now this is where it gets real crazy. That fire, everyone see the word fire on charcoal or fire on coals, whatever your version you might, everybody see that? Okay, if you don't see that, look at it real quick. I want you to see it because this is important. John 21 verse 9, he said they saw a fire on coals. Say fire on coals. 
There's only one time, other time, and I know I talk to you a lot about the Greek, but I love these little truths in the Word. There's only one other time in the entire Bible where that phrase is used, fire on coals. It is the Greek word, anthrakia. It is found one other time in the entire Bible, and it's in John 18, verse 18. And here's what happened. Peter went up to a fire, and a little woman looked at him and said, Don't you know Jesus? And Jesus is hanging on a cross. And they're beating him at this time. And she looks at Peter and says, you know him. You're one of his disciples. And he's warming his hands on coal of fire. That same word. Don't miss this. He blew it that night. He denied Jesus that night warming his hands by coals of fire. Jesus replays the entire scenario and brings him back to some coals on fire. Peter, a few nights ago, you were in this same situation and you denied me, but I built a new fire for you, Peter. Somebody often asks me, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? Nothing except Judas killed himself before Jesus could get to him. Have you ever thought, why did Jesus pick Judas? Why did Jesus pick Judas? He knew he was going to betray him. Why would Jesus pick Judas? You know why Jesus picked Judas? Because he knew, as long as I keep Judas near me, Judas has a hope. How do I know that's the truth? Because whenever Jesus was crucified and Judas got separated from Jesus, Judas killed himself. There's a reason why Jesus often invites the Judases in close. Because he knows as long as he keeps them close to him, he's got a hope. And whenever you separate Judas from Jesus, there's no hope for Judas. Who am I talking to? Don't get separated Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to Thy precious bleeding. He's recreated the moment in which Peter failed. Peter warmed his hands by a fire and denied Jesus three times. Jesus said, Peter, let me build a new fire. Peter's getting warm on this fire. He's thinking about the failure he had engaged in several nights ago. Jesus looks at him, don't miss this. Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? More than these. My whole life, I have been taught. When he said, do you love me more than these? He was talking about the rest of the disciples. Do you love me more than John and Matthew and Thomas? and Do you love me more than these? But I caught something this week that I want you to consider. Peter had 
decided after Jesus was crucified and he had failed the Lord, he decided, I'm going to go fishing again. I'm just going to go fishing. I failed him. It's really who I am. I'm a, I'm a fisherman. I'm a failure. I can't quite. I've walked with him for three and a half years and I'm no more spiritual than this. I'm done with it. I'm going to go back fishing. So he goes back fishing and he drags in 153 fish. And he's standing there with Jesus warming his hands by the fire that the Lord had made. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these 153 fish? I don't think he was trying to compare his love to all the rest of the disciples. I think he was talking to a fisherman who loved fishing and loved catching fish. I think he was saying, this ain't who I called you to be. I didn't tell you you were going to catch 153 fish. I told you you were going to catch men. And I know you're in love with this harvest, but do you love me more than these? That's what I want to ask you before we go home today. Do you love Jesus more than the job? Do you love Jesus more than the pursuit of happiness and pleasure? Do you love him? More than the chase of your husband or wife? Do you love him more than that new car? Do you love him more than you love Facebook and sports? Do you love him more than these things? He says, Lord, you know. Now this is, I don't want to go too deep again, but Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you. Two different words for love there. The word love in the English is the same, but in the Greek it's two completely different things. Jesus says, do you love me sacrificially more than you love anything else? Peter does not say, yes, I love you sacrificially more than I love everything else. Peter says, I love you like a brother. And he asked him that three times. And I want you to know this. In this text, Peter never says, I agape you. But he does in the epistle of Second Peter, which tells me this. The Lord Jesus was patient with Peter as he sanctified his heart. And Peter became more and more like Christ on the inside. Here's what I want to tell you. You may not have all your ducks in a row today, but he's asking you a question. He just wants to know one thing. Do you love him more than this? What is your this? Maybe it's not fish, but what is your this? What is it that you're tempted to love more? What is it you are tempted to love more than you love Jesus? I'm taking too much of your time, but someone in this place today wants to come closer to the Lord. I'm opening the altar. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm opening the altar today for those who want to come to the table of the Lord and draw closer to Him. There's some things you need to get in right priority. It doesn't mean you're not saved and you don't love Jesus. It just simply means today He's asking you and I around the table, the table that He prepared. He's saying, do you love me? 
And at the end of the thing, you're going to find something out. It's not about how much Peter loves Jesus. It really is about how much Jesus loves Peter. In fact, today I don't feel very spiritual. So I got to tell you, sometimes I don't feel like I love him enough. Which is why I stopped having confidence in my confession of my love for him. But I'll always stand on my confession of how much he loves me. You say, Pastor, how much does Jesus love me? If you want to know how much he loves you, you have to look at Calvary. You have to look at the old rugged cross. I'm just thinking right now God is working on someone's heart, someone who wants to just kneel before the Lord and stand before the Lord and say, you know, I don't know if I love him enough, but today I do want to stand in his love for me. Someone needs to bounce back from a failure today. You need to bounce back from a failure. Jesus is giving you that opportunity now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you say, Pastor, I want to be forgiven and freshly restored. I know this isn't for everybody, but there's someone in this house today, you've been through a season recently. And there are voices that are telling you just to go back. Go back fishing. Go back to the old way of life. You almost thought you might. But today you see a table spread fire's burning the fish are cooking the bread's there and the Lord's inviting you to come and dine if I'm talking to you just lift your hand where you're sitting right now yeah if your hand is up or it should be I don't want to embarrass anyone but one step is all it's going to take for the grace of God to come flowing like a Niagara River over your life you're going to wash some things away and restore you right now. If your hand is up or it should be, come join me. I'm standing down here and I'm waiting on you right now. Draw me near.